Welcome to the Payments Podium Podcast, hosted by the payments professor himself, Kevin Olson. This podcast discusses the past, present, and the possibilities of the payments industry. Here's the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Payments Podium. I am Kevin Olson, the Payments Professor, and I'm excited today because today I'm going to be able to talk about digital transactions and digital wallets. What's it? Well, what is it? How's it work? And, and what should you be looking for? There's really a lot when it comes to digital transactions and digital wallets, and there's definitely a need for getting some information out there. And today, to help get that information out there, I have Abhishek Viraganta with me. Now, Abhishek, uh, uh, can you say hi to everybody for me? Hey, Kevin. Hey, everybody. Now, Abhishek, I, I would like you to let everybody know who you are and what do you do? So, Kevin, I'm Senior Vice President of Marketing and Product Management here at Bsoft Corporation. Um, and my team gets to really focus on a couple great projects. First, our digital initiatives. Uh, where with our digital initiatives, what we're trying to achieve is we're trying to launch a digital banking suite, uh, open API core pra- uh, processing suite, as well as a faster payments product, a real-time payments product that is everything you could ever possibly want for any financial institution trying to run faster and real-time payments. The other okay, thing we that, do that, that is a lot right there. Digital initiatives for launching a digital banking suite, open APIs, faster payment products. There's already words in there that there are people out there going, what did he just say? So can you help us on some <laughs> of that? Right. Because I know that's one of the things we want to clarify. Some of our listeners out there are people that are new to the banking industry and some of them are experienced and they're looking for better understanding in this. So when you say digital initiatives, what are the digital initiatives that a financial institution should be exploring right now? That's a great question, Kevin. And it kind of starts with why are they called digital initiatives? Why does Vsoft call them digital initiatives? And with the digital initiative, what we try to discuss is banking shouldn't change just because technology is changing. Uh, Bankers, credit union executives, they should continue to do what they do best, which is help people manage their finances, help run successful financial institutions. But then to take a step back from that, with new technology, you have to take new initiatives to help augment some of the things you're used to doing as a financial institution and help do those things faster and more efficiently. And that's why we call them digital initiatives. So as an executive of a financial institution, that's what we expect uh, people to um, think about is, all right, How can I initiate? How can I look at this initiative and make my financial institution better better at the things we already do? I forgot to tell you, if it looks like I'm not paying attention, it's because I'm taking notes. Back to the podcast here, Sam. All right. Okay, so digital initiatives. Banking shouldn't change just because technology is changing. What a statement to actually say out there. And and even better, what you said was you're also working to help have help for the banking industry so that they can focus on what they do best. Now, what they do best, of course, is offer services and products to their customer base, their members, their account holders. And their members and their account holders, I know they're constantly asking for those new things as technology changes. 
In fact, one of the things that comes up is, you know, we talk digital initiatives. Well, what is a digital initiative? Like I hear digital wallet a lot, digital transactions. Can you give us a little bit more clarity on what what's these digital initiatives these bankers should look at to be able to help provide services to their member base? Absolutely, Kevin. So one of the things that we're trying to do, one of the things we start trying to talk through is what is a digital transaction? What is the intent behind the digital transaction? So with a financial institution, um, account holders often start trying to think about, all right, how do I get my money to move faster? That's where uh, folks like Venmo, um, folks like Stripe, um, PayPal, that's how they kind of got their start was people needed faster options to get their money to where they wanted it to go more quickly. Now, take a step back from that. Nobody knows more about moving money uh, or managing money than financial institutions do. That's the reality of it. So when we look at Venmo, when we look at PayPal, when we look at those other options, uh, we really have to consider, all right, me as a financial institution, how can I provide that service? What can I do to help account holders use the financial institution services more effectively. And that's what really um, digital transactions, digital wallets uh, are focused on is making the money move faster. Now with a digital wallet, you often see that financial institutions aren't really involved. They're kind of disintermediated from the process. Now with faster payments, real-time payments, some people refer to them as rapid payments, you start to see financial institutions become key stakeholders in the process and act as, again, a service provider to the account holder um, when the money is moving as quickly as it needs to. So digital initiatives are what can actually help the financial institutions back to becoming those key stakeholders and being able to provide those services for that faster money movement? Absolutely. Um, and you can kind of liken it back to a more classic business case of um, something like Netflix versus Blockbuster. Um, Netflix very much started the same way Blockbuster did as a, a home movie rental service. But the reality was, is um, the first thing they did was they cut the 30 minutes out of your commute to the video store. They started shipping home DVDs. Then they said, all right, let's go ahead and take the 10 additional minutes it takes you to mail that disc back. You want to watch a movie? You don't have to wait a couple of days to get in the mail. Let's go ahead and deliver it to you on demand. And that's very much what financial institutions are now having to do with transactions. Is It's not that financial institutions ever risk going the way of Blockbuster. I think that's certainly an overstatement. But the goal is to provide the same services they've always been providing slightly faster and slightly more conveniently. And that's, that's what digital transactions really look like. Well, I, I got to tell you, Abhishek, you may say that financial institutions won't go the way of Blockbuster, but I will. I will say this. I will say that their account holders will go the way of Netflix versus Blockbuster. Ain't nobody going to Blockbuster anymore. So the account holders, they're not looking for it. They're not going to go that direction. Okay, now here, let's get deeper into how it works. How can you, as a service provider, obviously you have products that, you know, 
to provide for this digital initiative to help financial institutions. But how's it really work? I mean, say I'm a bank, I'm a credit union. I want to have these digital initiatives, these faster payments you talked about, available to my account holders. How do I suddenly do that? How can I compete with that Venmo and that Stripe and start offering that? So it, um, and Kevin, you've said this many times before. I, I've, uh, uh, I'm only a payments aficionado. Uh, you're the payments professor. Uh, when we're talking about uh, faster payments, the goal is first to enable receipt of those faster options to the financial institution. How do I collect money faster? How do I help my account holders receive money faster? Because uh, most account holders are in a hurry to get their money. They're not in a hurry to pay their money. Um, so receiving money um, certainly is a starting point and with common sense options like uh, uh, FedNow right around the corner. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I'll let you beat me up about that in a second. But uh, other options uh, that already exist, such as the clearinghouses, real-time payments, and even something as commonplace as now same-day ACH, um, you have the ability to provide your account holders liquidity more quickly than um, they have traditionally seen it. Now, the question is, is what kind of payments backend are you using to help facilitate that? And um, shameless plug, that's where something like Vsauce Bread comes into play. Um, you have a uh, payments exchange, a, the, what we call the bread exchange, where regardless of the starting point, regardless of how the money is coming into the financial institution, we can go ahead and consolidate those faster, rapid, real-time options to make sure that uh, your account holders are getting the services that they start to expect in context of digital transactions. Okay, so make sure I get this right. Uh, um, what I see, and I, I hear it from account holders all the time, you know, talking to my friends, people who know me in the industry too, they'll be like, okay, well, I can go to Venmo and I can go to Stripe and I can just download it in the app store. Um, aren't I using my bank then? Versus you talked about having a backbone. You talked about having an exchange that's actually within the institution. Well, how am I going to get to it then if I'm an account holder for that financial institution? So, Kevin, the question also kind of then becomes, um, as an account holder for the financial institution, where is your money at any given point in time? So, um, a great example is as a merchant, um, am I waiting a day to three days for liquidity? So um, you've, um, in some of your talks, uh, described going to a barber shop and paying your barber with Venmo. Um, I very much see similar experiences with um, merchants and other folks who, uh, my wife loves going to farmer's markets. It's, it's something we used to do a lot before the pandemic. It's not something we've been able to do yet, but we see the first farmer's markets dates uh, coming up here shortly. And a lot of those merchants, a lot of those boots collect money using Venmo. Um, Square is a great example of a step past Venmo. You seem a little more professional. You're able to accept card. And I'll get there in a second. But Venmo doesn't have any transaction fees for merchants. So you're going ahead and you're collecting um, your payments through Venmo. But now a day of business at the farmer's market even a couple thousand dollars that they may have earned in that day, or even $1,500 that they may have earned in that day is a substantial amount of money to then be sitting in a non 
FDIC non-NCUA type institution. It's a digital wallet. It is a holding place that doesn't have any guarantee for those funds, except for the fact that for one in one to three business days, I can transfer for no fee to my primary financial institution. But for that one to three days, I'm out that liquidity. And that's not faster. That's something that financial institution can certainly solve for in the short term. But um, the peer-to-peer use cases, everybody has a preferred method already, but we need to be able to provide that service because you want a one-stop shop. But the reality is, is as business owners, as small business owners, there's very little to no uh, safety especially with the dollar values that they transmit when their livelihoods are on the line. I, a lot of keywords that I just got out of all of that. Safety being the most recent and the last one there. The unprotected accounts, your money's not safe. There's no guarantee of those funds. There's no use of the liquidity there. So those are definitely drawbacks that aren't gonna be there. Are those the benefits or are there any other benefits that a merchant would get if they go through a backbone product like you were mentioning to be able to have access through their financial institution? Are there any other benefits that that come along with going that route? So um, that's a great point, Kevin. And I think uh, merchant protections. Um, so I said I'd come back to Square and I, now maybe the time for that. So merchant protections in the uh, card space aren't what they need to be. As a consumer, at any time, if I swipe my card, I can charge back that. And I'm, if I'm acting as a bad actor, I may decide that I charge back for a service the merchant has already provided. And as the merchant, you would then be out of that car, that transaction. And when you look at that at a um, higher level, I, as a merchant, am having to pay a few percentage points to be able to accept this form of payment. And then I run the risk of not actually receiving the funds for that transaction. And we just mentioned liquidity. That's certainly not liquid when you're not sure that what you just sold is definitely gonna be paid out to you. Certainly it creates, uh, certainly it creates a level of ease for the consumer and makes it easier for me as a merchant to receive that payment. But that does not mean that ease of receiving that payment far outweighs the risks of um, the card networks. Ease of receiving does not outweigh the risk. That's a heck of a statement. And that's so true too. And I, I, I really love that you even said there, you're having to pay the percentage points and you run the risk that you won't even get the funds. So that's, that's a huge benefit now. Okay. Back to the financial institution though. And, you know, we've mentioned all kinds of different options that are out there that already available in the open markets, unprotected options. But you also mentioned the more protected through your financial institution options. You, you talked about FedNow. You talked about RTP. You mentioned same day ACH. And I know in a recent strategy session that Vsoft offered, and it's that's free and out there if anybody wants to go and watch that entire session, there was a discussion on, well, which one do you go with? Do you go with FedNow? Do you go with RTP? And, and you know, FedNow is more like Fed later because you're going to have to wait till it comes out. Or do you go with for that. ACH? Yeah. What would you say? What would you tell people, hey, here's the option to go with? Um, that's So I during the strategy session, I very much asked, why do you have to choose? Um, I asked, why do you have to choose? And I stand by that. Uh, you 
don't have to choose. You choose something for now. And when FedNow comes out, you can absolutely choose that later. Pick a partner that's willing to grow and evolve with you. Don't pick a uh, payment rail because that's all it is. It's a payment rail. Uh, if for the folks that invested HD DVD, invested in HD DVD players, because that's all this is. This is a format war. For folks who bought HD DVD players, I, I really wish, I really wish that there was an option for them to be able to also play Blu-rays on the same device, but there's not. Instead, um, we really got to think through it in context of something that's able to process and accept everything, something that's able to go ahead and feed your account holders a platform that doesn't really care what the payment rail is on the back end. And that's something that will achieve universal adoption. That's something that is already universal in its inclusivity by means of not forcing you into a specific payment channel. And that's what will help you wade through what may seem like a format war now, but will just become a way of life as we start to try make sure we're continuing to settle within a few seconds as mandated by these networks. I like your comparison of the high def DVD player to the Blu-ray because I remember those days too. I remember the arguments with my tech friends of which one was going to win and surprisingly Blu-ray won. Um, and I say surprising because I thought the high def DVD was better. I'm just personal opinion. So to see it win, but you, and you mentioned the format war now. Now I want to ask you, is there going to be a winner? And I'll, I'll give you my answer before I, I, I get yours. And my answer is they're all going to win. They're all going to have their different use cases. We have multiple payment channels now. Yes, we're adding more, but the ones we have now are not going to go away. So what do you think is going to happen as far as we see same day ACH growing? We've gotten another window. We're getting higher amounts come next year. We see RTP is growing as well, that the number of financial institutions signed up, the reach of the accounts that they can get to growing constantly. And we see FedNow is moving forward quickly in their development and they're developing where they're taking information from the entire industry to build the best product possible. Again, maybe that's my opinion. So out of that format war, which one wins? And the short answer is, is, Kevin, we cannot pick between the Fed and the clearinghouse. We can't. They're both powerhouse players in their own right. They both have their place in the payments landscape. So there is not going to be a winner. There, there's going to be co uh, competition for which bands and what types of payments they pr predominantly process, sure. Uh, but to imagine that uh, one comes out of the other, um, I think would certainly be a stretch. Now, uh, Clearinghouse has a huge advantage having come to market so soon, so quickly, but the Fed now will have the advantage of lessons learned uh, from the Clearinghouse's services. And it's not that the Clearinghouse doesn't provide a great platform. They do. Clearinghouse real-time payments is an excellent platform, but uh, hindsight is twenty twenty, and the Fed now platform will have been able to look back and learn from some of the places where it may have felt like the clearinghouse has stumbled a little bit. Okay. I, I got to agree. The best thing to do is to, to learn your future is look at somebody else's past. That's already been where you're trying to go right now. <laughs> and knowing that too, uh, I guess the next question that I'd, I'd ask you is if I am, say I'm a merchant or a corporate, maybe I'm a customer or I'm a financial institution. And I don't want to have to pick which one. I want all of those to be available, but 
what else besides looking for something that's going to give me all those options? What should I be looking for in my digital initiatives to be able to fulfill all those different areas that ease of receiving that you've talked about, the faster options of being there? And I like the most of all to pick a partner, not a rail. So what are the things I should be looking for in that digital initiative to know I'm picking the right partner? I'm picking the right initiative. When we're talking about uh, uh, faster payments, digital initiatives, not having somebody pick, look for a technology partner, not a payment rail, a technology partner that's willing to evolve out past the payment rail. Look at the format, which uh, we can talk for hours about ISO 2022, Kevin. You know I can talk about ISO 2022 for hours. Uh, but let's the format's here to stay. But the... ISO 2022 being sent over which rails should not matter to the technology provider you're in a, you end up going with. Each network will have its nuance, but that doesn't matter. You will find a way to make sure that um, that payment goes over the rails that you specify as a financial institution, uh, not for any other reason other than your own operational concern. Okay, I like that. So look for somebody that's going to evolve. Know that a lot of the formats we have now, because ACH ain't going to go away either. And it's a most basic file format. But yeah, I agree with you. The ISO 20022. Now, one quick question on ISO 20022 I'd like for you to be able to clarify for people is we hear ISO 20022 and we hear that's the Fed format. We hear ISO 20022 and we hear, oh, that's the clearinghouse format. Well, are they the same thing? So does that mean that they're going to be interoperable with each other because they're on the same format? I, I sure hope so, Kevin. Um, I sure hope they work towards interoperability. Um, globally, we're looking at ISO 20022 as the de facto standard for single payment messages. Um, everywhere you look, everybody uses ISO 20022. Now, you bring that back to the US, you bring that to Fed now, and the clearinghouse's real-time payment, it absolutely is the format for the clearinghouse's real-time payments. It absolutely is the format for Fed now, but it absolutely is the format for SWIFT GPI, which is a global payments initiative, GPI. ISO 2022 is beautiful in that you don't have to pick um, what network you're sending it out over. You just have to be aware of the nuance of that network's acceptance of ISO 2022. Otherwise, it's just a matter of getting off the races. The message format doesn't really change. Okay, great. I, I do like that. And thank you for explaining ISO 2022 and how it's used in multiple places. Now, here's my last question, and it's not so much in payments. You are a very successful person in what you've done in the career that you've had. And one of the things that I like to do to be able to end the podcast, and I started a while ago now, was for those that are out there listening, because a lot of our listeners are new to the payments industry. Some people actually aren't even in the payments industry so from the emails I've got, but still like learning about it. But I want to know what advice would you give that person who's new to the payments industry of this is what you should be looking on? This is what you should be focusing on. Here's what maybe you did to become successful, but what advice would you give them, those people that are new starting out in their careers to have a successful career like you've had in the payments world? So Kevin, you should know me. Uh, and you know you should know that I don't react well uh, to being described as successful given how hungry I am. Uh, but uh, payments certainly, I think, uh, should not be treated as as scary an industry as people make it out to be. That's one of the big things that a lot of people take away from an initial conversation about payments is, oh Lord, how much do I not know? 
And the answer is, is there's a lot. Uh, payments was very specifically designed to be to be complicated, to be difficult, to feel like most people can't do it. But you say it best, Kevin. A payment is a payment is a payment. Uh, regardless of how you're paying somebody, at the end of the day, you are paying somebody. There's only difficulty around what rules exist to get that payment there. So don't be daunted by the sheer volume of information. Read, read a lot. Think about the use case you're paying with and then the rules of the network you're paying from. And it all starts to fall into place and starts to become second nature as you think through payments in that lens rather than trying to get bogged down by the networks or by the payment format. Even check, even wire, it doesn't matter. Don't don't worry about the rules so much as worry about why the payment is being made in that specific way. Okay, you know, I, I can't agree enough that think about the use case. For those of you out here listening, let me just go ahead and tell you, millionaires have been born out of use cases. That is a fact, all right? Just go through the uh, store, the Apple store, and all those apps, those are called use cases right there that have been created. All right, Abhishek, before I let you go, any closing comments you want to leave everybody with? Absolutely, Kevin. And very simply, just don't be afraid of trying to make a decision. Don't be scared to make a decision. Go ahead and think through what you want to achieve from an operational standpoint. Go ahead and think about what you want to achieve from a business perspective, whether you're a financial institution, whether you're a fintech provider. And then think about what that looks like to your business rather than thinking about the actual technology involved. That, that's, I think, the most important part of a digital initiative is initiating it, getting started, making sure it's in line with your business. Could not agree more. Don't be afraid to actually do something and get something started. Well, Abhishek, thank you so much for being on the Payments Podium. And for all of you out there, if there is somebody you think should be a guest on the Payments Podium, if there is a topic you would like the professor to have on the Payments Podium, as always, you can email me, Kevin, at paymentsprofessor.com. I will do my best to scour the industry and the world of electronic payments to find that speaker, to get that topic fulfilled for you. And again, if you're the one that wants to be on the show, please reach out to me. Would love to have you on. Otherwise, for now, class dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Payments Podium Podcast. Check back every Thursday for a conversation with the Payments Professor. This podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Olson and edited by Sam Sue Smith. See you on Thursday.